Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. You're very welcome to Tuesday Afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Let's begin with a guest who's a very happy man today. Yes, you do know Meath won the Talton Cup at the weekend and last evening. The homecoming in Park Talton was a joyous occasion. The manager's on the line. Colm O'Rourke, congratulations. Good afternoon, Jerry. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, great night last night. Lots of smiling faces. Young people seeing Mead with a bit of silverware for the first time. It went really well. Yeah, and it was a lovely evening too. We were fortunate with the weather. A huge crowd in Partalchen. And uh, as you say, it's the first time young people have seen Mead with a trophy. So there was hundreds and hundreds of young people there dressed in, in green and gold. It was lovely to see. The team uh, performed brilliantly in the final, but all the way through as well, after the disappointment of the Leinster Championship and All-Ireland uh, situation. Um, you're saying at the moment and you have been saying that this team has immense potential now a lot of young players in there do you believe they're ready to make the step up next year and beyond well I, I, I think we weren't ready this year uh, mm. I would be hopeful that we could improve again uh, for next year like a lot of them had only been playing uh, for the first time I think 13 players played for played championship for the first time this year and there was a lot of changes as the year went on. But when we sort of settled on a younger side in the last three or four games, they seem to have made significant progress in a very short space of time. Is there a big gap when you watch the semi-finals, you know, Dublin, Monaghan, Kerry, Derry, a big gap from where you are still to be bridged? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think uh, if we compare ourselves with Loud, and both of us were in the second division of the league, and both of us... Uh, at a very similar type of level, Loud beat us in the league, and then Loud got uh, very heavy beatings from both Dublin and Kerry. So, mm. uh, like, wh- who's to suggest that uh, we are any better than that? So, I think uh, we we are at a level below. That's why we're in the Talshin Cup. There's a big uh, gap to bridge there. But uh, this is a good start. It will certainly help us in our development. But uh, uh, again, we need a, a big step up next year. There's probably 10 points of a gap between uh, the Talchin Cup winners and All-Ireland winners. Uh, and mm. uh, that's a that's a big gap to bridge. But uh, I think we have a group of players who are very keen and willing to do that. The uh, semi-finals of the Senior All-Ireland, um, you know, when you look at them, uh, Monaghan pushed Dublin, Derry certainly pushed Kerry. Does that give everybody hope, Colm? It does, but again, if you look back, uh, Derry were Ulster champions last year and this year they were in the All-Ireland semi-final last year when they were beaten by Galway. Uh, they won. This, they were in the uh, our division in the league, of course, this year and they give us a heavy beating up in Owen Beg. So they are a good bit further down the road of development and they are probably next in line to Dublin and Kerry and Monaghan, of course, have been the first division team for a long time and have held their own with all the top teams. So they are definitely on the present form quite a bit in front of us. 
You and I have spoken in the past about the structures of the game and of course this year you win the Talton Cup so they've split. There's there's two divisions sort of now in it and I know you talked to me in the past you'd love to see a replication of the club game a senior All-Ireland an intermediate and a junior. Do you still feel are they still your thoughts and feelings? Yeah absolutely and like you know we were entitled to win the Talton Cup on the basis of our league you know it was just a, a funny uh sequence of events that put us out of the All-Ireland race like we were 14th in the county and in the country and it was supposed to be the top 16 teams into it but then uh, because Clare and Sligo got into the provincial finals we were pushed down but like I, I think when people start looking at the Talshin Cup over the next few years they will see that uh, the fourth division teams really don't have a great chance of winning it it, uh, last year was Mead, this year Mead. Like, they were all teams uh, in the top levels of the third division who were involved, or in, di- in this case, Mead, who were a second division team. So maybe Mead were misplaced to be in the Falchion Cup, but I, I don't see it offering much to fourth division teams. I, of course, they're, got, they're getting more games, but... Uh, what uh, what is needed is uh, probably three tiers. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think it, it would make sense uh, to replicate the club and and it would give everybody their opportunity for a to win a championship, move up like the hurling has it at the moment, and the hurling has benefited surely from it. And um, what about the national league versus the provincial championships? I know you were saying to me before, look at the provincial championships, and yet Ulster hold them dear in particular. Yeah, absolutely, and I suppose it is a very competitive championship, and and uh, there's great tradition there as well. But like the other three provincial championships, you know, you have three counties really competitive in Connacht, you have not so many in Munster, and you have Dublin and Leinster. So I always felt you should have three tiers, eleven, ten, or eleven teams in each tier, and you should have. They all play off in their own division, a league-style championship, and the top four or the top six in each group qualifying for knockout stages and promotion and relegation. I think it would give a much more balanced championship. Of course, it would mean getting rid of the provincial championships, but uh, I think they have run their course. What about the season ending now? Hurling final this weekend, the football following, all wrapped up by the end of July, and then we're into the club stuff as well. Do you like this setup? Well, from a manager's point of view, I really do like <laughs> the fact that I'm off now. Definitely. It's, it's pretty intense when it's going on for seven or eight months and it's nice to get a break from it. But I'm a bit of a traditionist. I love the All-Ireland Finals in September. Uh, it seems very early to have the All-Ireland Final. Of course, the club scene gets a, a big break and there are far more people involved in the club scene than there is in the county. But like in Loud and in Mead and in all the other counties, like the the mid league finals were on last week, so uh, club teams were getting eleven, twelve games, even though they had to play without their county men. It wasn't as if the club scene was completely inactive. So, I mm. uh, I'd like to see the All Ireland a little bit later, and uh, you know, from a purely uh, mid point of view, it would it would be great for us if we had more games coming up now that we're on a bit of a roll. It's a long time now to wait until next January or February before you have another game. Yeah, true. Um, the game, I, I, I socialise with people who absolutely love the game to the core. They follow me, they follow Loud, etc. But I'm, I'm listening to people who are GAA stalwarts saying to me, they're losing their love of the game. They're not in awe of it anymore because of the way it's been played and the defensive nature of it. Can anything be done there? Do you feel something needs to be done being at the heart of it now? Yeah, well, I suppose it depends on on, on how teams approach the game. Like uh, Dublin, uh, like to win a game in Crow Park still, you probably have to score a total of 20 to win the big games. And uh, I think that's what most teams would set their mind to maybe it was a bit less with Dublin but uh, that means you have to attack as well so Kerry and Dublin are very attack minded and and they should have the blueprint that others copy and it's something that we make no secret of that uh, we'd like to play the way they do like they get the ball forward very good kick passers of the ball of course they defend the numbers as well but they have attacking flair and I think that's what a lot of teams. 
there's obviously a change in the whole style of football to a much more defensive type of pattern. But rule makers have to keep up with that. Like in basketball, you have the shot clock. In rugby, you have you couldn't kick the ball out on the full. Um, so every game, back pass in soccer, every game adapts and changes with time. And possibly we need to be a bit more radical in the way uh, rule changes are introduced. And I, I, I think, you know, that we could do a few rule changes, like not bring ability to bring the ball back across midfield once you attack. And a few things like that, no pa- back pass to the goalkeeper. And maybe try different rules. But like the problem with trying rule changes, I often think it started in the wrong places. Like if you started it at juvenile level, and walk up rather than trying a senior and walk down. I think it would look much better. Young people adapt quicker. Managers of county teams will growl and complain if there's new rules introduced. So I think it would be better if we want to build a new and different game. We must start at the bottom and let them come up through the ages with it. Good uh, to hear that from you and, and something that should certainly be considered. The club season starts now. You have your panel of players. Are, is there more talent? Are there more players out there in Mead? You'll be around the club games now. Do, do you believe you can find more and that will come in and, and add to the Mead squad, the current squad? Yeah, well, I, I don't think we're going to find 13 more <laughs> no. championship to prove next year. But like, it's always open. Things change. Fellas get hurt. We certainly... We'll be we'll be looking to add six or eight or ten maybe to the panel. Uh, we spent a lot of time with the regional competition last year. It was a very good competition. Then we had a development squad, which operate underneath the senior squad, and then we had the under twenty team. So we had a huge number of players. I think we looked at over three hundred players last year, mm. uh, trying to identify new talent, and it did work to a certain extent anyway and that trawl has to go on again you can't relent in that you have to see can you find players and we got players from unfashionable clubs and maybe they're you never know where you get a a diamond until you start mining Absolutely Do you miss the punditry? Yeah I do miss it yeah Uh, it was an awful lot easier telling everybody else how they should play than actually going and and trying to do it myself (laughs) but like I was, I've been so actively involved in managing and coaching yes. that I was doing it at club level anyway and doing the punditry and the side. So just for the county team, it's it's full on. But uh, uh, it, I certainly do. I was missing. I missed the writing and I missed uh, the the TV work. But uh, there was much greater satisfaction in being involved with a very nice, committed group of players. You said that that it was one of the best feelings you've ever had and you've had success, wonderful success as a player, as a club manager, as you said. But this was the pinnacle, was it for you? I, I don't know whether it's the pinnacle. I suppose it's, uh, like the reality is that when you win something as a player, it's probably the pinnacle of your career. And uh, how could you probably... Uh, you couldn't uh, swap an All-Ireland victory mm. for anything else mm. or a championship with the club because I put them on equal footing. And I suppose being manager of Simonstown winning their first championship was a massive thing. And I put a rank up there alongside win, uh, winning the All-Irelands with St. Pat's uh, in Navan. They were big things, particularly winning the first All-Ireland for yes. the school in, in 2000. So mm. there's been a lot of high points. It's hard to distinguish, but uh, yeah, I, I, I got a lot of smiles and uh, a lot of satisfaction because it was a vindication of a policy of almost complete change with the team in the space of 12 months. So uh, when you do something like that, you you leave yourself open to certainly an amount of criticism and everybody has their uh, own view and GE is a broad church and we all have our opinions. So it's nice when, uh, as a management group, and that includes Barry Callaghan, Stephen Bray and Paul Garrigan, when we sat down to pick panels and pick teams and we uh, got a, a good group together in the end, even if they were largely inexperienced. Yeah. 
Yeah, oh, listen, it's uh, been a wonderful achievement and Colm, uh, people really do recognise it. Listen, you're very good to speak to us today. Always appreciated. Best wishes for the club season ahead and that you will find some more diamonds in the rough and uh, looking forward already, I'm sure Mead supporters are, to uh, next season, which begins in the spring of 24. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Jerry. Bye-bye. Take bye. care, bye-bye. That's Colm O'Rourke there, the Mead manager, a very happy man and rightly so. Some lovely messages coming in for Column there. Well done, Column. Great win. Enjoy the holiday, says Caroline Barkin. Believe I tell you, love a working holiday, Caroline. Congratulations to Column and all the Mead team. Uh, Column said, have patience. He was so right. Some supporters were getting frustrated, Jerry. I'm so proud of my fellow rat, Kenny man, Donald Kyogan, a pure, genuine gentleman and a role model to future generations of young people. From a very proud rat, Kenny supporter. Thank you. Column and his team have done a great job since they came in and it can only get better says Harry and Colin my next guest is a great friend of ours and she has just published a fantastic book it's called The Menopause Kitchen and I'm delighted to say hello again to nutritional therapist medicinal chef and menopause educator Rachel Graham welcome back thank you so much Sherry I'm delighted to be here I love being in studio with you it's been a long time I know with that bloody thing that happened and closed the whole world down well may I say first off to you that this book is simply superb. I love the way it's laid out. I love the threads that link all the parts of the book together. Mm. I'm sure you're hearing this, are you? Yeah, because women are saying this is much more than just a cookbook. Like it's in a very effective tool. Like I'm reading the front, there's 100 pages at the beginning of the book that explains all the nutrients, why you need them in what dosage. And that's really, really beneficial because by the time you get to the recipes, you can actually see how you can use the recipes as a very effective tool to support your health. You and I have talked about this over the years, but just to emphasise it again, and this is very important to say, what you take on board, what you eat can really help you through the menopause time in your life. Absolutely, because it's like trying to build a house without foundations. I mean, your your diet is the foundation of your health and well-being long term. So if you are arriving into this life stage nutrient deficient or uh, usually experiencing a lot of kind of digestive issues, all that kind of thing, stressed as well, low in energy, everything's affecting your mood and you're not nourishing yourself effectively, then, you know, you're not playing literally with a full deck of cards. It's really, really difficult for you. And then you're expecting an awful lot from something like HRT to in order, in order to improve your symptoms. Whereas diet can actually eliminate a lot of your symptoms and then you can use HRT kind of like the icing on the cake. Menopause comes at different stages of yeah. life to different women. You yeah. mentioned 43 for yourself, uh, yeah. others earlier, others later as as well. Can I ask you a couple of things around that? Should you be working in this regard ahead of the menopause? Should this be part of your lifestyle well beforehand? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I think that, you know, this needs to be taught in schools in the same mm-hmm. way that puberty and pregnancy should be taught in schools or is taught in schools. Um, I think that if the more you know, um, the better, because if you are informed arriving into this life stage, then you're better equipped in order to be able to deal with all of the challenges that, you know, come your way. And I think that's probably the case for, for most things but in particular with menopause because it has typically been shrouded in secrecy and also shame and taboo for so long I mean my mother never spoke to me about it and um, I think that we're the first generation of women to really kind of blow the lid off this conversation and say hey this is normal it's a normal life stage for us why are we being shamed into the corner whereby you know we're receiving no support we are ill informed and we have no resources available to us so it's really important that not just women know about this, but also the men, that they can support the women in their lives, be it your wife, your your sister, your daughter, your mother, whoever it is. Like, it's it's normal. And, you know, the better equipped you are with both knowledge and support and resources, the better you're going to be able to journey through this whole life stage. It affects everybody. And yeah. you say that in this yeah. book as well. That's an important thing. It's just yeah. not the women themselves. It's, uh, you know, partners, yeah. Yeah. husbands, etc. Yeah. and family. Yeah. Um, the other part of that question is this if you reach menopause and you know it is kicked in and you haven't been that good beforehand it's never too late is it to adapt what this book is talking about never never too late and I think that you know you're going to see results very quickly if you follow all of the recommendations that I give in the book because once you start nourishing your body effectively and correctly you you're basically giving your body the raw materials that it needs in order to be able to 
uh, thrive, essentially. So that's what this is all about. And um, so it's not about punishing your body at this life stage. It's about really supporting it. So the emphasis is on nourishment, which is why the book is laid out the way it is according to nutrients. It's completely nutrient led. So there's no calories. And I think this is going to be hopefully a joy for women that the focus is completely off calories and it's really on the nutrients and the effective dose of those nutrients so that you can see and feel the effects of of um, of your efforts. I love the recipes myself. I have yeah. to tell you, I went through and said, this is fantastic, this book. And, really, and I mean that sincerely. It's a wonderful cookbook in its yeah. own right, never mind the application to the menopause. There are two aspects of this I want to talk about. The menoweights you talk about, which are phytoestrogens, fibre, omega-3, calcium and magnesium, antioxidants, protein, probiotics and brassicas. You treat all of those separately. And then, as I said, what you love, you take each of those headings and you incorporate the recipes into into dealing with them. Exactly. So using, for example, calcium and magnesium is a good example here. So we know at this life stage there is an increased risk for osteoporosis. So we need to optimise our calcium intake. So all you've got to do is go to the calcium section and look at the different recipes and there will be a selection of breakfast, lunch, dinner and also snack options there. And you can see at the bottom of every recipe it has all been nutritionally analysed. So you have that lovely colourful bar chart and you can see what what is the dosage of calcium in this recipe per serving size or per portion size and you know okay what is what am what's my target for the for the day how much is in this recipe okay i know if i eat this and this and this i've achieved my target mm. so that's what's so great about it you know it's yes. it, it's a really effective tool as well as being a delicious tasting recipe those eight I mentioned and they're key headlines right yeah. through the book but you touched on one of the four sort of major health challenges that yeah. women can face at this stage of life and one of them is osteoporosis what about let's talk about these four cardiovascular disease yeah so usually at this life stage you know a lot of women will say to me oh I was with my GP recently and my, my cholesterol has increased exponentially I'm now like over six or seven or whatever the number is and well first of all what I say to them is that your, your cholesterol will naturally increase at this life stage but heart health is a is a you know it's a key risk that we will, will experience because unfortunately our risk of heart attack will increase fivefold just as a, a result of that decline in estrogen so in fact heart health for me or heart disease as you know I should more correctly call it is actually the elephant in the room it's not breast cancer and most women will come to me saying you know I want to reduce my risk of breast cancer I want to eat right and I'm saying well yeah breast cancer is obviously an important consideration but actually um, heart disease is much more important and um, assessing your risk or knowing your risk and then effectively managing that with a good diet which you can do because most um, heart disease is actually linked back to lifestyle choices be it diet or or having you know sedentary lifestyle stress smoking alcohol whatever mm. the, the choices are so heart disease is one of the big four, yes, absolutely, cardiovascular disease, be it either elevated cholesterol or elevated blood pressure. Mm. And these things are extenuated uh, when you uh, talk about the menopause as well. So that's mm-hmm. cardiovascular. You mentioned osteoporosis, type 2 diabetes. Yeah, which is very closely linked with cardiovascular disease. Yes. The two go kind of nearly mm. hand in hand. And then Alzheimer's and dementia is the fourth is one. Is the fourth one. And, and big news yesterday about a drug that's come on the scene mm. that hopefully can help with an aspect of this. But are you saying to me that, you know, through diet and lifestyle, that we can reduce the risk of dementia, Alzheimer's? Well, because of what you're putting into your body. So we know that, for example, um, inflammation is a major contributor towards that. We also know that um, elevated blood glucose, so type type 2 diabetes. In fact, Alzheimer's and dementia is now being coined as type 3 diabetes. So because of its link to sugar and elevated blood glucose or chronically elevated blood, sh- blood sugars over an extended period of time. So this is, I have a whole section in the book on sugar. You know how I feel about yes. sugar and reducing your sugar intake and the fact that unfortunately, you know, there's so much sugar in our, in our diet, uh, sometimes unbeknownst to you because there's a lot of hidden sugar in mm. our food. So it's about reducing, reducing, reducing and removing 
ideally. Yeah, I was going to come on to that. You mm-hmm. do deal with sugar yeah. extensively in the book and yeah. it, it is a big, big issue. I want to come on to um, weight round the midriff yeah. and you talk about this as well and mm-hmm. I'm sure there are ladies speaking today that it drives them absolutely mad. They don't seem to be able to get a handle on this. Yeah. What's your advice? Well, I think it's very typical and it's usually the symptom that triggers them into action that gets them to lift the phone and contact me or email me um, because they tend to be putting up with all of the other symptoms be it the brain fog, the aching joints, the sleepless nights, the hot flushes, all the other symptoms. But once the weight gain, that stubborn weight gain that is on a, that they just can't shift. And, you know, it's it's usually as a result of many things. Poor diet, number one. Um, lack of sleep. So sleep is really, really important. Stress. So a stressed body is literally the ideal environment for fat storage. And, you know, so there's this kind of, you know, that there's multiple, um, there's multiple things feeding into their weight gain or their inability to be able to lose the weight in particular around their middle. And um, so I usually uh, approach it from that kind of multi, you know, it's a multi-pronged approach in that I will deal with a lot of lifestyle issues as well as poor nutrition. The This whole area you've moved to with your yes. work and, and, yeah. and everything, you, you really have been a natural fit, if I may say, for this particular area. And you said a moment ago, it's been taboo. It's been the thing that's been under the counter for yeah. years. Are you happy that you being one and, and others as well are, are changing this whole aspect of menopause? Yeah, and I think that um, unfortunately menopause has been a big negative spin on it for too long and I want to put a positive spin on menopause. So I see food as a means to be able to literally reinvent yourself, to embrace opportunities, to um, really... uh, be able to give yourself the time and space that you deserve at this life stage where you've likely potentially raised a family, you know, you've had a very successful career or you've even been a stay-at-home mom, whatever it is, but it's now time for you. And I think self-care is a really important aspect of this life stage. And I use my own menopause as a springboard into a new area. So I niched into this area and I, you know, embarked on a period of kind of, you know, a 10 year learning and upskilling. And, you know, it's been, you know, it's nice for you to say that it's a natural fit because, you know, this is my life stage too. And I want literally exactly the same things as my clients do. So I'm very emotionally and personally invested in their success as well, because we, you know, we we want the same things. Messages are careering in here by really? text and WhatsApp for the book <laughs> as I speak. I'll just mention it again. There's no need to. Rachel is the word I want. 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text for a copy of The Menopause Kitchen by Rachel Graham. Keep them coming to us. Um, you know, th- there are people listening who will say to you, I've sailed through this. You know, mm, what, what's yeah. this all about? I'm sure you've heard this yourself. Yes. That can be yes. good luck to you yeah. if that's the case. Yeah. But on the other hand, people find it extremely difficult. Yes. By living this, by mm-hmm. living your mantra, by, you know, taking yeah. on board this book, the recipes and living by it, can it be a lot easier? Yeah, I mean, I answered this question the other day when they said, you know, can a good diet really, you know, like you completely transform you? And I said, no, it can't. You know, it will actually, ch- but it will change your mindset. Mm-hmm. And then that will give you the tools to be able to change your life. Right. So it's, yes. you know, I'm not going to, um, you know, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. No, no. <laughs> and I'm not asking you Yeah, to. exactly. I think it's, it's um, but it is very empowering because once you start seeing the benefits of all of your efforts, you know, be it in the kitchen, then you'll start to sleep better because your blood sugars are balanced. Then you'll actually have more energy and you'll want to exercise. And it is this kind of transformation. I call it my menomorphosis. <laughs> Great name. It's a new word in yeah. the English dictionary. Yeah. It'll be on countdown tomorrow. Yeah. It will. I'm telling you, we've just heard it today for the first time. But look, seriously, uh, you know, it is a real challenging time. And, you know, it comes at one thing I will say to you in the mm. book. You mentioned this. There's no getting away from this for women. It's going to happen. Exactly. So if you were born female, you know, you will experience menopause. And if you haven't yet, it's in the post. So and that's I I think one of my opening paragraphs. But I think that for many women, certainly women that are in their late 30s, early 40s, there's a lot of denial there. There's a lot of resistance 
And that's okay, you know, but at some point I do encourage you to inform yourself about what's coming down the line. Because potentially, as you say, you could sail through it and not experience any of the symptoms or you could experience all 34 known official symptoms of menopause. And, you know, I think the overwhelming um, statistic that came out of the, the, um, what's his name, Joe Duffy, interview was that 80% of the women that called in were felt completely unprepared for menopause. Mm. They knew nothing about it. Mm. They didn't know what to expect. And therefore, when it happened for them, they were literally overwhelmed. That's why I think, folks, you should get this book ahead of the time and be prepared because this book will prepare you and will leave you very ready and understand what's coming. The recipes, I suppose this is a question listeners are thinking and I've been through the recipes. I mentioned I love some of them. I love the risotto. I must mention that because I picked it out of me. The banana nice cream, not ice cream, nice cream as well. I love your green juice, do I? (laughs) (laughs) I I only said that for the fun. But look, seriously, the recipes, they're not difficult recipes. No. No. No, absolutely not. And I think that, you know, uh, I'm a medicinal chef. So for me, food is incredibly important and it's important that we're enjoying it in good company and that it's not seen as the enemy, that you can actually really enjoy the process of getting healthy by using Mm. these recipes. So it doesn't feel like you're on a diet or on on some kind of regime, you know, so and that's really, really important because I think when you're enjoying your food, it's very sustainable way of living. Mm. You look a picture. Thank you. So may I ask you, being the author of this book, How has it been for you? How has this regime, has it been a godsend for you? Absolutely, because I think the demands of, you know, running my online clinic and seeing clients trying to write a book, you know, trying to raise a family, all of the things that I'm trying to do, you know, there's it's a lot. And, you know, I'm a woman in my mid 50s and it's really it's it's like definitely tiring, I would say. However, I know that when I am sleeping right and nourishing myself correctly, then I can do all of those things. And it's fun as opposed to feeling like some kind of endurance test. You're fantastic. I remember the first day I ever met you and you know that you made such an impression on us and you continue to. This book is simply brilliant, may I say. Thank you, It really is. Thank you. You should be so proud of it. It's a credit to you. It's called The Menopause Kitchen by Rachel Graham. It's available everywhere now at the moment. It's a substantial book. I have a copy to give away. All you have to do is message me, WhatsApp or text the word Rachel to 086-1800-658 with your name and details. They're flying in here still. (laughs) I don't know how I'm going to pick. Look, I'm going to leave it there for today. Will you come back to me? Perhaps sure. to do a question and answer. Yeah, I'd love with that. our listeners. Will yeah, you do that? I would for love us? to do that. Yeah, we'll, we'll do that. Let's make a date for that down the road. That you'll do. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. That that you'll come back yeah. and we'll expand this a bit as well. But for the moment, Rachel Graham, it's great to see you back in studio and well done. Thank you so much, Jerry. Really appreciate it. And just to let everyone know, it's available in Easons and Dubray books. And it's also uh, just to go onto my website, which is Rachel Graham Nutrition or Menopause Nutritionist, if anyone has any questions. And follow me on Instagram, Rachel Graham Nutrition. Absolutely. Good to see you. Well done. The Menopause Kitchen, Rachel Graham. Thank you. Thank you. 
It's time for our Two on Tuesday. Two on Tuesday. I'm Thursday number one. We're so close. Two on Tuesday. Back to my girl today on Late Lunch. Yes, Miss Kylie Minogue is our featured artist on the two on Tuesday today. When I tell you the song we're going to play was first released in 1962 by Little Ava and it was a big hit. It was a number one in the States. Kylie picked it up after it was covered a number of times in July 87, released it. It went straight into number two in the UK charts. And listen to this, my woman, she's had 10 number twos. Yes, she's just missed the top spot on 10 occasions. Anyway, today on Late Lunch, our two on Tuesday, number two in the UK for four weeks, it's Kylie and the Locomotion. Should have been number one. How did that song not make it to the number one top spot in the charts? Well, I'll give you a listen actually now to what was the number one. And this one stayed top of the charts in the UK for five weeks in 1987. It was the debut single for Yaz and the Plastic Generation. Have a listen. Do you remember it? Cut it, cut it, cut it, cut it. Anything that kept Kylie off number one has to go on late lunch. No, I have to say, seriously, that's a decent song. James McAlarney, which one for you? The two or the one? Oh, Jerry, hard decision. I, I think um, that would be a great song, Yaz, to work out to. I could see myself doing acrobics to that over in the pool next door. And maybe if I was dancing on a Saturday night, I'd love to do the locomotion. If I had to choose one, I'd probably just about shade Kylie Minogue and go the locomotion. Oh, just about. James. Just about. But it is close, Jerry. It's unanimous today. It's unanimous. Two for Kylie. She should have been number one, yeah, but it was a so. close run thing, we have to say. Anyway, yes, she had 10 songs that didn't make it to, no, just fell short of number one. Mind you, she had seven or eight number ones in the UK as well. So it's a hell of a record. It really is. Anyway, Kylie Minogue, two and Tuesday this week, the locomotion. Short break on the show and did you know that this week is Farm Safety Week joining us in a few moments is Alma Jordan from AgriKids I always tell you my listeners the truth on late lunch and my next guest I rang Alma Jordan last week and I said will you come in next week he said sure I'll come in I'll see you Tuesday I didn't realise it was Farm Safety Week Alma talk about good timing I'm telling you I'm (laughs) telling you we seem to be synchronised at this stage Jerry. how are you? I'm good how are you? welcome to the show it's really good to see you again this is a very important week this is a huge week and I think what a lot of people say is why is it only a week why and it, it's not that it's we only think about farm safety for this particular week this is just an opportunity for us to really put a lot of focus and awareness and highlight once again the issues that um, face so many farm families throughout Ireland. We have 137,500 farm families in Ireland making enough food every year to feed close to 50 million people and unfortunately the production of that food comes with with huge risk. You know, a a farm accounts for 6% of workplaces yet year on year it's 50% of workplace deaths and even this year so far we have 18 workplace deaths according to the uh, record with the Health and Safety Authority nine of those on the agricultural sector so that stat is coming through again and again and again. Is the message just not getting true or is it the nature of the business as well that, you know, at times, you know, when you're used to machinery, for example, machinery, or you're used to being with stock or that, there's a familiarity 
there sets is. in. There is, and as they as they very rightly say, familiarity does breed contempt in so many ways. And and this is the the, the fallout that we're seeing within the farming sector. There is just so much involved. I mean, we have the complexities of a home and a workplace. Many a time, living side by side, we have children obviously being given, you know, probably a lot of access to to a farm, but you know, we also have a culture. And this culture again and again comes into play. And that in itself, I think, is underlying and undermining a lot of the work that so many of us are doing um, on the topic of farm safety. It's, it is a culture that just seems to get in the way of getting the message done. And, and year on year, I'm, I'm hearing the arguments again and again saying, you know, Asher, when it comes to you know, having children on a tractor, for example, should they're safe on the tractor with you than anywhere else? And we really need to start counteracting those statements because no, quite frankly, um, the safest place for a child is not on a tractor. And if it is, in what context? You know, is it safe for having them beside you as opposed to on the ground running around the yard? Well, then, yes, the tractor is the safest place. But why are they running around the yard in the first place? You know, it, it's all about it's, it's all relative. It needs context and we really need to start challenging these arguments. And I like to say that there is a very vocal minority um, within that will, will, will challenge every aspect of the safety message. And it's such a pity because, I mean, I'm not here to preach. I'm not here to give out. I'm not here to, to shout down anybody else. I'm just here because I am heavily passionate and committed to the well-being and welfare of our farm families. But I like to think that I actually represent a silent majority who do feel like this and who are a little bit nervous to speak up or feel in many ways that they don't have a voice on this. I mean, mm. I've met many members of the farm family who say, I just wish they would listen to me. I am, I'm so nervous. I'm scared. I am worried. I like to think that I am maybe giving them a bit of a voice here and, and helping them in, um, to get this message and this, this culture addressed in their own home. You're here to save lives, may I say. That's yeah. what you're here. It's, it's as precious as that, saving lives. It and is. another point I will make, you talk about children. I've seen young boys driving mm. machinery that's ferocious. All I will describe it as, you know what I'm yeah. talking about, yeah. machinery today. Young, very young boys. Yes. It frightens me. It terrifies me. And, you know, your, your average car is about two and a half, three tonne. Your average tractor is about seven to eight tonne. At 16 years of age, you cannot, by law, Drive a tractor, drive a car. At fourteen, you can drive a tractor. Fourteen around the farm, but you have to have training. Uh, at sixteen, with a provisional license, you can drive that same tractor on the road um, without a test. And I think we need to now address that because, and that's not me saying, you know, they're they're not able, they're, they aren't capable. Some of them possibly are quite mm. good. You mm -hmm. mean they have been exposed to it from a young age, and yes. maybe they are better than some adults. But if they are good enough, then, then test them. Let them have the competency test and not putting them onto the road with the habits that they have learned from people who may have bad habits and may not be up to up to the task. So I would like to see some kind of competency testing brought into this now because 80% of the kids who have been killed on farms in the last 10 years is down to machinery. And a lot of that, no doubt, is is children behind the wheel who, who should not be there. And I am seeing kids, I mean, there was a call recently for them to increase the age to 17 or 18. That won't do anything. It's 16 as it is, and they're younger than that as it is behind the wheel. So test them. Give them the skills, teach them, educate them. Started in transition year as part of the Ag Science curriculum. Let's work with the communities. Let's collaborate and, and let's reach a compromise on this. And, and do, do you know what? Then we might start curbing this culture mm. that I talk about. And I don't think anything you say there or call for is unreasonable. I think I it's think so. absolutely reasonable. The other, you mentioned, um, you know, driving machinery, quad bikes. I, mm. I see that Big rule today. change coming yeah, in November. Yeah, yeah, yeah there is yeah. there. So there's mm -hmm. a, you welcome that? I absolutely welcome that. I think quads are becoming a bigger issue uh, once again. I mean, I was in a school one day and the, the, the teacher pulled me to one side and says, by any chance, do you talk about quad bikes? I said, yes, I do. Thank God, she says. We had an incident not that long ago involving five children all on the one quad bike and their baby brother sitting in the tray on the front. You know, like this is what I'm talking about. I mean, I'm, I'm not talking, you know, you know, we need to be careful and mind ourselves. There is really dangerous, dangerous things happening. Children need to know and respect that these are not toys and parents do too. And I know there seems to be s some kind of, oh, isn't it great to, si to see them out there, teach them young, etc. No, no. Teach them how to respect it. 
teach them to you know uh, learn and and give them jobs um, that are not risky don't expose them to unnecessary risk and give them jobs and roles on the farm that are age and ability appropriate other areas I think of you know animals I mentioned and Mm. animals are big creatures you know when you talk about cows even a sheep all the farm animals they're substantial in size especially cattle and that as well the other thing and I I see the story this week of Ella Casey in Ballymahan in Longford Mm -hmm. a young girl working on a farm overcome by the fumes yes. uh, from a pit there yeah. almost died only for somebody came and found her and took and her out and dragged her out, out. and, and, and yeah. risking their own life in doing that but I mean and I, I really commend Ella for coming out a young girl coming out a young farmer coming out and speaking up about this because you know and until people hear these stories and realise that you know what it could happen to us it could mm. happen to them. It could happen to anybody. None of us are safe. I'm not safe. I mean, I live on a farm. I grew up on, on a farm. There's nothing to say that we are 100% safe 100% of the time. So what needs to a change is attitudes, is culture. And I will call on government to really, really look at this. I mean, they put so much value on what our farmers produce. I think 14.9 billion the agri-sector brought in last year. Let's put some of that money back into the welfare and well-being of our primary producers and really start safeguarding them in, in a way. And, and you know, you know, maybe from the outside coming in, uh, you know, our, our farmers contribute a lot. They help a lot. And I, I think it's, it's about time that we start placing that the same value on them that we place onto their onto their produce. Well said. Um Embrace Farm and you. Mm. We know you for Agri Kids for years and yeah. years. It's your baby, but you've worked with Embrace Farm. Just tell our listeners what's, what Embrace that's Farm about. Embrace Farm is a charity. It is the uh, support network for farm families impacted by loss and and death and also injury. They run a huge amount of practical and emotional supports to families in the aftermath of a tra- of tragedy and injury. They run bereavement weekends for widows They and for families. They have support groups for survivors. They recently launched their Encircle programme a year ago, which was an EIP funded project by the Department of Agriculture and Europe. And that has offered bespoke services to a families because when somebody dies or is injured within a farm family, there is a huge emotional aspect. But people don't understand cows still need to be milked. Crops still need to be harvested. Farm life must go on. And you might have an, a widow left who doesn't even know how many cows are in the shed, but they have to be milked. So Embrace Farm has has not only addressed that, but has brought in mentors and supports to really, really aid and support f- families in probably their darkest of times. And I've had what can only be described as the pleasure of working alongside them over the years in the work that we've done. I'd be, I'd be quite the light aspect to their very dark topic. And... Um, now on a more formal basis I started with them last September um, on kind of an ad hoc basis and now I kind of it's wonderful now that I can share my time between agri-kids and then I do a a few hours a week with um, Embrace Farm it keeps me grounded it keeps me focused and it reminds me day on day why I do what I do and why I need to talk up speak out and own uh, this particular topic When you talk to children just come back Mm. to that point again and you've been addressing parents and adults Mm. which you need to because they are the decision makers at the end of the day how do children you know when when you go into classrooms or bring them together how do they feel about what you're I love them. them I absolutely yeah. love them I ha- I always think of a little boy called Tommy Tommy was six he was in senior inf- infants and uh, when I walked into the classroom the teacher um, I noticed that Tommy had two much older children on either side of him and they went um, this is Tommy Alma and I said oh hiya Tommy how are you how are you and I said Tommy we're going to talk about farming and farm safety today mighty mighty and the teacher whispered in my ear and she goes that's Tommy's brother and cousin uh, we brought them in because Tommy's a bit enthusiastic about things Tommy was my best child in that whole group he was from a pure farming back background in the west of Ireland and he not only was passionate about the topic and was probably my most behaved child in the whole session. He asked questions, he engaged, he put up his hand, he asked questions, he answered questions, he helped his classmates learn. Children are magic. They, uh, natural learners, instinctive learners, they take the message on and what's most important is they give it back. They share this information back and I have found children to be such a vehicle for this and I think they are the ones that will not only address the culture but will create a future on our farms that is sustainably safer. If I can keep my programmes in school, my content in schools, my, 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 my approach 
then you know what? We we can actually look to address this particular culture and we, we can actually create a foundation from the ground up that will enable all farm families to not just think about safety, but to be instinctive about it. And, and I think that's what we need to address here and that's what we need to achieve. I hate when I hear news of a mm. tragedy, any tragedy on the roads, yeah. you know, you hear on holidays, on mm. farm, you know, when yeah. you hear about it. It's to dreadful. you, it just must be like a dagger to the heart. I, I, it is. Any and death. I, I suppose there was a time I would have taken it very, very personally. And I just want to extend my my sympathy to the family in Castletown and Navin who had a, a tragedy not that long ago. Yes. I think about them every single day. I think about I think about Liam Lyons, Fiona Mulhall, Sophie Pearson, um, Mark Fordham. All the people, they're, they're all children, those last few names. They are the ones that I represent. It's very easy to get caught in the statistics of all of this. But at the end of it, we have a family. We have families. We have a community. I've gone into many a school, um, one school in particular in County Clare. They had an altar um, erected in memory of one of their pupils, eight years of age, who'd been killed off a quad bike. His daddy had just bought a new a quad bike and was bringing him out for a little spin, a little go, and things didn't go well. And they are the reason why I do this. Um, you know, it, it's a very hard topic at times. I, I you know, I, I, I try not to take it personally, but you know what? I do. And I'm not going to make any apologies for that because it keeps it real. It keeps me very tuned in to the people that I'm looking to support. And it, it, it creates the fight within me to keep on going. Well said. And I can see the way those names just rolled off mm. there, how personal it is to mm. you too. Let's finish on a, on, on a slightly lighter <laughs> note today because Alma has brought me the most beautiful selection yes. of books. Where it all started. Oh yeah. my God. <laughs> you become a successful author as well, yeah. haven't you? I did. I did. I created those Tales from Riverside Farm yes. books there a number of years ago to address farm safety and to kind of get, you know, children educated and entertained by the topic and more recently O'Brien Press approached me to do a series of books um, which I launched first one back in Mar- back in February then I did World Book Day back in March and then my third book in that particular uh, Hazel Tree Farm series that comes out in September very excited about that one according to, to my mother it's the best one yet so <laughs> I, I, she's, she can be my harshest critic so I'll take it from her When your mammy says that <laughs> it's the best endorsement it you really can get is. in the world it doesn't matter what the reviewer <laughs> as other critics say when the mammy says that <laughs> yeah. you're home and hoes to be honest exactly, with you exactly. congratulations on the series books and Alma has brought us in a gift pack of our books here for one of you this afternoon Alma good luck with all you do you're fantastic and thank, thank you. you again for thank joining you, Jerry, us thank you Jerry, for all the, all the help and support not at all Much delighted to support you thank you Cindy Loper on your late lunch this Tuesday afternoon. And time after time. Big, big hit back in 1983. Big number one in the United States then. And still fresh today, I have to say. James, what a story this is. Did you hear this one about the Australian sailor? No, no, I didn't. Well, before I tell you, I want to mention one thing about Alma Jordan, who was with us last. She was great, wasn't she? She's a wonderful woman. She just wanted to thank Flo Gas, who have backed her brilliantly with those lovely children's books uh, that she's brought out there. And she just forgot to say it there. And I'm glad to say it on her behalf. Anyway, back to the Australian sailor. This guy went to sea, right, with his dog. Tim Shaddock is his name, and his dog Bella. They left Mexico for French Polynesia in April, but the boat was damaged by a storm not far into the voyage. He had no connection, no power, nothing, and he drifted in the Pacific for two months. God. How did he survive? How, how, he had nothing. Like food, he had damn, He hadn't enough. Like He, he had uh, enough, you know what I mean, for uh, a time, but for two months. Incredible, isn't he it? Had a fishing rod. Is that what he did? a bit of fish yeah. yeah. And he caught fish. And himself and the dog ate the fish. And he fed the dog as well. Fed the dog with the fish, fed himself the, and the fish sustained him. Jeez. And he was picked up by a trawler the other day and he was in good shape. He had a big God. beard and he was like Robinson Crusoe and, and all that type And what about the water? Did he have enough water to survive? He, he did. He Obviously have. he had, maybe he had something to boil the water or something, you yeah. know, with the salt in it and yeah, the yeah. dog, like the dog would need fresh water as well. But anyway, the two of them so survived. It was a 6,000 kilometre voyage uh, and he just drifted aimlessly. And imagine oh. being out in the Pacific Ocean nobody saw him yeah. neither a boat plane or nothing until a trawler came across him in the little boat with the dog the mental fortitude that must take to I was the willingness to survive how would you not knowing you, you could be dead anytime 
Incredible. Absolutely yeah, incredible. incredible. Incredible story. Just spotted it today. Late lunch, LMFM Radio, heading to top of the hour. News, weather and sport on the way. Great draw for Alex Maguire in the golf. Charles Swartzel. James, you're going over to cheer him on. Yeah, heading over tomorrow afternoon, Jerry. Yeah, though it's an early start now. Eight minutes past seven on Thursday morning. I'll be looking forward to getting up and making my way from Liverpool over to Hoylake. But uh, look, it's a novelty and it's uh, Alex had been in the same class at school as my brother and I remember him and I've seen him kind of grow up and develop and I don't think anybody thought we all knew he was good but this mm. is incredible, incredible. Um, and it's it's really such an achievement and it's uh, creating a lot of excitement out in East Mead so I'm going to definitely make sure if I, <laughs> I uh, make sure I can get there if I can so oh, yeah you, so. you will and you'll be there I was there the last time I was in Hoylake it's a lovely course and everything's well organised with the Open it's like military precision you know getting in and out of the place and uh, it's a lovely lovely course it's tight you don't need the driver the iron will do you off the tee if you're accurate with the irons you'll get round Hoylake for sure but Charles Schwartzel, what yeah. a draw to be with that man and I think I was saying to you earlier on make sure he ch- talks agriculture to him and machinery <laughs> and tractors because Schwartzel is a farmer and a very yeah. keen farmer as well so he is but anyway they'll have other things on the mind we wish, wish Alex all the very best carry our wishes with you hopefully he'll get through at least through the the cut Hopefully. and into the final two days we're rooting for him all the way Absolutely. but what an achievement to get there alone is just fantastic and he's a lovely guy he's always good to us on late lunch always available to chat and we do wish him well now our competition winners today for the Rachel Graham book it's fantastic it really is the menopause kitchen that's going to Suzanne James today well done to you Suzanne it's signed and all for you uh, by Rachel and Rachel will be back with us on late lunch and on I promise you and and the Alma Jordan gift book pack. They're absolutely lovely. IFAA, I was looking for the Irish Farmers Association. Mary Waters in Carrick, that gift pack is yours. It'll be on its way to you this very evening. Now on Late Lunch, round about this time, we do this. Five, four, three, two, one. Counting down the top five songs from this week of yesteryear. And today it's... The number four from this very week in the year of our Lord, 1992. And when I tell you it's a very familiar song, our songs, Erasure, are the group we're featuring today. They released this on the 1st of June, 1992. It was an EP and it was their first and only number one on the UK singles charts. Big fans they are and were of ABBA, the Swedish group. Vince Clark and Andy Bell, of course, are Erasure. They'd often performed ABBA songs at their concerts over the years. They originally intended to release a full album of ABBA covers, but instead opted for this EP. Number one for five weeks in the UK, featuring Voulez-Vous, SOS and Lay All Your Love On Me. But today, from Erasure, it's Take A Chance On Me. If you change your mind, I'm the first in line Honey, I'm still free, take a chance on me If you need me, let me know and I'll be around If you got no place to go when you're feeling down Honey, I'm still free, take a chance on me Erasure Number four this week in 1992 in our top five countdown and ABBA-esque featuring Voulez-Vous SOS, Lay All Your Love On Me and Take A Chance On Me. And I think it's success. It was number one, as I said, for five weeks in the UK charts was, you know, the nostalgia and the memories bringing you back to the great days of ABBA. No surprise that was a big number one back then. That's your number four on Tuesday, three tomorrow, two on Thursday and the big number one from this week in 1992 on Friday afternoon here on Late Lunch. Up next on the show, touching base with somebody I spoke to back April 2021. It seems like an eternity ago. Had a great idea. Saw an adbective on the banks of the Boyne. Well, it's certainly taken legs since. Stay with us to find out the story. James McAlarney mentioned to me about the hot box sauna yesterday and lo and behold, the penny only dropped after a while with me. I was in Ross's Point in Sligo the weekend before last. We were in Sligo for the weekend. It was absolutely beautiful. Went out to Ross's Point and lo and behold, there was the hot box right on the shore of the sea and I'm delighted to say hello again to one of the men behind it Liam Irwin hello Liam how are you going how are you keeping I'm keeping well well there you are I came across you in Ross's point you stumbled across us I did I did (laughs) 
<laughs> no, wait, I tell you, sure, I wasn't, I wasn't prepared for it at all. We were out there having a look around, enjoying the scenery, etc. But you know what? You have a lovely place out there because right beside you is that new swimming pool they've built out into the sea. So you have the ideal location. Yeah, we're blessed in that location. Uh, we're right beside the sea. You can jump off that pier straight into the sea. Um, it's, it's a really yeah. good location. And actually, all our locations are right beside the water. So the one in Mead, in Bective, we're uh, steps away from the Boyne. And there's a little walkway into the Boyne there. And then we have a new location. I'm actually down there now in Greg Namana in Kilkenny. Good and on we're you. right on the River Barrow. So we spoke, was it back uh, 21, I think, early part of the year? You were only getting going in Bective as well, and now you've certainly spread your wings. Just explain to listeners, what's the format? Do you, do you go in the sea first, do you do the sauna first, and then go into the colder water? I, I guess that that's kind of down to personal preference, but the key is to do both. So whether you start in the sauna or the sea or the river, uh, uh, whatever it is, uh, that you that you do the heat and then the cold, or right. the cold and then the heat. Okay. The change and, is really good for you. And what do people, like, uh, on a breakdown percentage-wise, do most people do the hot first and then the cold, or the cold or the hot? Yeah, what? no, it's e- most people do it the easy way and do the hot first. Right, and then... The, oh, hardcore, wait, no. <laughs> the hardcore regulars we into, into the water first. I'm not so sure, because when you're sweating and hot and then you plunge into that cold, come on, Liam, take my oh, breath yeah. away. You know, you want to be, you, there's nothing you want more than to get into the cold water right. when, you're, when you're that hot. I see. You're I 85 see. degrees in the sauna, so your, okay. your core temperature's gone way up. It's lovely. Okay, so, and um, look, at what are the benefits of this? So, there's a range of benefits, and not to be, uh, not like, not to come across like a health desk expert or a doctor, uh, like, advising you or anything, but uh, there's mental health benefits, so people kind of generally feel uplifted and uh, clear-headed coming out of the sauna. And then there's multiple cited studies that, 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 that argue that it's very good for your respiratory and your heart health. Um, so there a couple of studies state that uh, the rates of heart attacks and strokes in Finland uh, are much lower than anywhere else in the world. And they suggest there's a suggestion, you know, a correlation then that one of the things that they do that no one else does is almost everyone in Finland saunas on a regular basis. Mm. I wanted to ask you that because you emphasise that it's a Finnish sauna. What's the difference between a Finnish sauna and the rest of the world? I guess so there's dry saunas and wet saunas and a Finnish sauna is like a dry sauna that you add water to the rocks. So like there's Russian saunas that are completely dry. You don't put water in them. So it's a very dry heat. Whereas a Finnish sauna is more humid, you, you add water to the rocks and it allows you to have like a humid heat. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so so that, uh, thank you for explaining that. I just wanted to know. So come back to Bective on the banks of the Boyne and uh, since you opened, how is it going there? Are you getting good support and, and who typically is, is using it? Oh, so, uh, Bective is absolutely flying. Um, we have such a wide range of customers there from sports people to casual users or to lads that, you know, we opened during COVID. We had a lot of lads that would have been meeting up for a pint in the pub that started coming to us for a sauna instead, and they've kind of kept up that habit. And they probably are still drinking the pints in the pub. But, uh, <laughs> and sweating uh, it out in the like sauna. Every, everyone, like almost every, all, all age groups, all you know, everyone, uh, the demographics are so large. We had the meet yeah. ladies in. Uh, we've had uh, all the football teams, all the local football teams in. Um, we actually had Brian Cody the Kilkenny Hurler and a few of his mates down in Greg Namana the other day. Right. So there you are. They're taking uh, advantage of it as well. H- how did this all begin? What What was the the concept and where did it come from? So there was a sauna in Wicklow that uh, myself and my two business partners and mates, uh, Luke and Dan, we used to frequent. We used to go down there and uh, make a trip of it and go down in uh, Glenmalure Lodge. And we thought, this is phenomenal. Like, how is there none of these around the place? And we kind of went, she's kind of a good business idea as well. But uh, all of us were in college time and we were like, oh, don't really, you know, we'll try to get a normal job. But if that doesn't work out, this would be a good thing to come back to. And then COVID happened while we all finished uni. So there was very little options for us. And we go, okay, maybe we actually would give that idea a go. And we had that location on the side of the Boyne in mind, uh, spoke to the landowner. He was happy to go ahead with it. And it just kind of all fell into place then. Now we've, three saunas down there in a hot tub and it's expanded you know massively mm. two saunas in Sligo and the big sauna in, in Greg Namana we're always looking out for new spots as well 
So the sky's the limit. You're looking for other places as well, and this can go nationwide. What's the important? Well, I suppose a dummy question, but you obviously need water close by, be it a river, or a lake, or the yeah. sea. Yeah, well, that would be our USP. Like, yeah. we don't, we won't do it unless you can hop in the water within, you know, literally a stone's throw. Unless you're meters away from the water's edge, we we won't do it on that location. You know, um. There is there's saunas that are operating in the city and they're super cool like urban saunas and they have plunge pools and stuff like that. But what we're what our selling point is that we do we do the wild saunas and they're out in nature and mm. we look then we we we're constantly scouring looking for these locations that are that, that are right for what we do. It's very clean, I'm told. It's the cleanest environment you'll ever experience. Yeah, no. There's another fun fact about the saunas in Finland. They have the, they used to. I don't know now. They probably go to hospitals now. But they used to give birth in the sauna because it was the cleanest, most sterile place in the house. Mm, there you are, baby born. In, where were you born? In a sauna in Bektiv. <laughs> Make a change from the Lourdes Hospital in Drogheda, where everybody in Loud and Mead nearly has been born up to this yeah. point in time. You know. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, I, I really do like it. You're great fellas. Honestly, you, you've done something remarkable. Started in Bechtiv and here we are. It's going nationwide at this stage. If people want to find out more about Hotbox Sauna, where? So we have our website, www.thehotboxsauna.ie to book or to just kind of have a look. Uh, Instagram, we're very big on Instagram. So that's just at the Hotbox Sauna. And then you can see it. You can find us on Facebook. We're not, we're not very active on Facebook, but generally the website and the Instagram. Great stuff. Wish you well. Thanks to me and Jerry. Appreciate that. Take care. Bye, Liam. Bye. That's Liam there from the Hotbox on a great local story going nationwide. That's it on late lunch this Tuesday afternoon. Eddie Caffrey's on his way with the drive. Stay with us here on LMFM Radio. Big thanks to James McAlarney, who's been with me for the last couple of days. Thanks a million, James. We leave you today in the company of Mr. Niall Horan and Heaven. See you Wednesday, one thirty. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.